The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. You to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard. I am your co-host, JP John Paz from the two-man power trip of wrestling. And of course, joining me is the star of the show, the former WWE World Tag Team Champion, the former eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, and one of the greatest trainers ever in the history of professional wrestling, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Dr. Tom, how are you doing today? Doing great today, John, in an almost spring night here in the the time change is brutal, but I think we ought to keep it. Good night, though. Now, you did not have great travel, though, right? You were traveling oh, aboard no. and, and you did not have a great trip? It wasn't about that at all. No, no, I had a great trip. I did. I had a great trip leaving Knoxville. Uh, I had a uh, neck gator on. They mm-hmm. said nothing to me on a Friday. Uh, Friday morning, I actually left really early. Got to Jackson, Mississippi. Nobody said a thing to me. Actually, I got to Atlanta. Nobody said a thing to me. I got to Jackson. Nobody said a thing. Then leaving this morning, I'm wearing my neck gaiter. I get to the uh, counter to check in. I have no bags, but you have to at least just get your boarding pass. I'm a boarding pass. No one said anything. Got to TSA. Nobody said anything. I get to the ticket gate. I have to get a bag check. Give uh, uh, me put on my bag. Uh, good gate check to put on my bag, you know, they, they take it down anyway. And the lady says, are you willing to wear a mask during the flight? I said, I am wearing a mask. She goes, no, sir, you can't wear gaiters on flight. I said, excuse me. She says, you're not allowed to wear the neck gaiter. I said, I wore this coming up on Friday. Nobody said anything to me. She goes, neck gaiters aren't allowed, sir. I, I can give you a mask if you like. And I said, well, go ahead. And then I got to looking at it, and, and I got to thinking, you know, that paper mask is is mm-hmm. even thinner than the gaiters that you wear. Yep. And uh, she said, if you or somebody said, if you're going to wear a gaiter, you have to double cloth it or something. I thought, how stupid are we really getting here? And it's winding up, winding up to be pretty stupid. So, but that was all. It was just I, I could have argued, and I could have, but it was like. Um, it was early and it had been long nights, which is okay. I had a good, I had a great weekend, by the way, with battles on. But um, it was just the charismatic Delta gate agent in Jackson, Mississippi, that just uh, told me I couldn't wear it after I'd already worn it on two flights already coming to Jackson. And when I asked how long this rule had been in effect, she said, uh, about a month, sir. Well, no, that's not true. So, or anyway, somebody messed up somewhere. But uh, uh, I'll, I will be so glad when, not if, when we get back to 
some semblance of a sanity or, or at least just at least just stop me in the whatever they're being because it, this is ridiculous i got to atlanta to switch flights wouldn't you know it there's a lot of people who are in neck gators now I, is delta the only airline that doesn't allow face coverings like neck gators on there obviously because there were more people wearing neck gators and um so it must they must have been going on Delta or United or American Airlines and Delta must be the only one uh, who's not allowing net gators. Every air, a lot of other people were wearing them in Atlanta. That's all I got to say. It was a nice trip. It was just a it was just a pain in the ass this morning. I know uh, Shane said he had the same problem. I, I think it was like uh, maybe a month ago or so. It was yeah. weird. It was like one uh, airport, no problem. But like the airport coming home was like, you can't wear the bandana. You can't wear a neck gaiter. You got to right. wear a mask. So like they gave him a mask. <laughs> so they made him wear it. it was yeah. Like, the okay. Same thing. Sam Adonis yeah. said, said the same thing happened to him too yesterday. So I thought, God, dog it, man. Are we just, yeah, we are. We're getting this. We're going this route now. And it's not. Uh, I hope we get back to, to the way, uh, you know, back to apple pie and white picket fences and black and white TV, leave it to Beaver and Ozzy. Mm -hmm. That ain't happening, mm -hmm. I know, but for Christ's sake, at least get some sense, guys. The, the paper is is thinner than the cloth, and and oh, oh for Christ's sake is all I had to say. I got, some, like I, got some, I got some blowback people. So just wear the mask. I said, I was wearing the black shithead. <laughs> I was wearing a mask. <laughs> Christ. It's not my, that wasn't the issue. Uh, no, they're such idiots. Yeah. Yeah. So, now, anyway. uh, as far as like uh, the neck gear, that's the only thing I'll wear is the neck gear. I hate wearing the regular mask. I love Me that. Too. You just pull down, pull it up. Pull, and it's thicker than yeah. I have one from Lowe's. It's a lot thicker than the regular right. one. I think so, that, Mission, I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, that's what I'm saying. It's they're 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 so concerned, and yet they want to give you this thin little paper one uh, when when you have this this one, and it just makes no sense. It's it's I, I really do think we're going through this trial of let's see how far we can take it, and and well, anyway, I, I wasn't going to cause a scene because I, I was tired and I want to get home. So they they have the power to confine me where I was at. And I, I was okay with where I was at, but I want to come home. I want to see my wife. I want to see my dog. I want to get home. And I hate how they've kind of like normalized the mask just in general. Cause I saw a copper fit, like, you know, that, that company copper fit that I see on TV yes. guys, like they are like basically on the commercial was like, well, I always wear my mask and they tie it around their neck or they tie it around their ears. It's like, <laughs> I was like, are you crazy? I was like, yeah, I yeah. never forget my mask. And if I ever do forget, I was like, wow, they really are, have normalized this thing. Yes. Yes. That's why I say, man, I, I, when we get back, I sure as hell hope this isn't the new. I, I know 2020 was a new normal. We were going through a bunch of stuff, but holy Christ, man, this is uh, this is lunacy, in my opinion. Now, I was just kind of briefly mentioning it to you off air because I thought maybe you uh, had been paying attention to it. But obviously you were traveling, so you would oh. not be able to see it. But right. Jim Cornette and Miro went out and head to head a little bit on Twitter on Saturday. And we're recording this on Sunday, but on Saturday, Miro had a couple choice words for Jim Cornette. Apparently, he did not listen to the podcast, but somebody had told him that he that Jim Cornette was calling Penelope Ford a slut. So he decided to say, Cornette, I'm going to come to your basement and kick your ass and all this other stuff. And uh, he's defending her honor. And then, then he said, Cornette, you're a mark. Why don't you answer me? So obviously, 
Cornette sees us the next day, which is Sunday. So we were recording yeah. earlier today and he just eviscerates Miro and Miro does not write back. So uh, I, I guess Cornette wins, but Cornette said he will have more to say this week on the drive through on his podcast. And Brian last said the same thing that uh, Cornette will have more to say on his podcast. I just think it's uh, pretty funny that Miro is challenging Jimmy Cornette to a fight. Yeah. I, I, um, I have a long history with Jim Cornette and uh, yeah. I love respect and admire Jim Cornette. I do. I just, I, I can't help. The guy's uh, been nothing but great to me. And I, I love admire and respect Russo as well, because he was great in FCW for us. He was great in WWE for us. And I, I think he's a, a pretty good guy, pretty good person. Um, but I really do. I think we've really got to this point, and I discussed this uh, yesterday, yeah, yesterday or Friday, wherever it was, with um, Chris in Battle Zone. And it, it, it's it's got to the point, and I should discuss it with the class. It's got to the point. Uh, anybody can be a star. Anybody can have a voice. Anybody can go on Twitter, YouTube, Patreon. Um, my gosh. And blast your stuff out there. But when you do, you have to be prepared for the consequences. So Jimmy's blasted his, blasted his stuff out there before. He doesn't care about the consequences. Um, but if you're going to take him on, you have to be prepared for what's coming. And uh, I, I got that a long time ago. I understood that a long time ago. But at the same time. Everybody has is, is entitled to their opinion, has a right to state it. And if you don't like it uh, and you want to confront whoever it is, you better be able to confront and uh, either fire back or, or take your shit and move on. But it's, it's got so the, – the last 20 years especially just got so over the edge and um, – I guess that's what the world's become, especially with most social. I don't fan. <laughs> I'm really not because I've always felt there should be some mystery. There should be some unpredictability. There should be some kind of aura between uh, superstars and people who were on TV or movies or entertainment business or star athletes and star people, whatever they do. Uh, then everybody else. I just, I always felt that way. I always felt, what happens behind closed doors should stay behind closed doors in professional wrestling. In other words, I don't, I'm talking about secrets and uh, you know, how the trick has worked and let's, let's not show everybody we're slapping our leg and slapping our arm and things like that. But everybody wants to get in on, on, on the, on the game these days. So if you want to get in on the game, you want to make a comment and you want to fight well, and you pick a fight, then don't be so surprised when uh, some people fight back and and don't fight fair, don't fight clean. And, and, you know, there's no such thing as a fair fight. If you're going to fight, you're going to fight to win. So, and Cornette knows how to fight to win. Uh, Miro's a nice guy. I like him. Personally, I do. And I, I thought he was talented. I still think he's talented. A lot of times, you, or sometimes, you find yourself in a, a situation where, you're with the company and they're not, they're doing the, what they think is 
the best. And you have to have input. I don't know how much input Miro has right now. I don't know what he's offering up. But, uh, and I haven't really seen a whole bunch of his stuff. But I don't think he's doing the same thing he was doing in uh, WWE. And they don't have the same kind of uh, people or the caliber of people in AEW that they had in WWE. So that could be Miro's downfall if he wants to pick a fight with a guy who not only knows how to uh, pick fights, but end them too sometimes, especially with that verbal joust. You, 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 you know, die, man. So he knows his stuff. I, I, I'm, I didn't see it. I, like, as I got in this, this afternoon, we went to eat and came back, and I had some things to take care of here. And I just, I haven't been on the, uh, uh, the, the sites I've been working so. Yeah, but I, I can see it happening. I can see I can see Merle you know, attempting to do the right thing and then just stepping in a big pile of uh, moose shit and then not knowing not knowing what to do with it. So yeah, with that, it's I don't know, like um, the way AEW was booking him. Let's just say not good. He hasn't been great. He's barely been on. They made him like a video gamer. Then he was upset that somebody broke his video game. It was very, very like juvenile and just stupid. And not the way to book him. I think now they're trying to rectify it. But he literally said in the promo, "I'm sick of playing games." Basically, making fun of the character that he was was just like a few weeks earlier. He said he's sick of playing games. He's done with it. Uh, game over. Now it's time to get serious. So I was like, okay. So a few weeks ago, that that gimmick was was trash, and you're kind of admitting it was trash, right? But I feel well, like this Cornette thing has helped him more than hurt him. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's uh, got him more tension. But uh, the thing is, and. I tried to believe this in my own case too. Maybe people will forget about the crappy gimmicks. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, when it's on a national or actual global platform, it's hard to forget that they just tried to give you a gimmick playing games and all that other stuff. So um, lashing out and getting attention from Jim Cornette is, is good on one hand and um, not so good on the other if he if he eats you alive and spits you out and then kind of scrapes you up and 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 just makes mincemeat of you and and Jimmy's capable of doing it because he just doesn't care and again that, that that's that's good and bad so um look more power to Miro, more, more power to Jimmy. And Jimmy's all been doing great. He's an entrepreneur. He knows how to keep his name alive, keep his brand out there. Uh, and Miro is, is still learning the ropes, I think. And, uh, man, I don't know. I, 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 I really have to look at the tweets and see how the, what the tone was, but I can I, I really don't have to. I guess I, I kind of know what the tone is. I know what the tone is from Cornette. I'm sure Merrill was trying to do the right thing and stand up for uh, Penelope. So if Jimmy called her a whore or whatever he called her, what was that for? <laughs> I mean, what, what what brought I, that on? Was there was there did they do a gimmick there or what? I think he was reviewing the show, yeah. and I know he calls her Penelope Pitstop. <laughs> And saying that she's been with a few of the wrestlers, and you know he's basically, you know, saying yeah, so maybe it's a little slutty, you know. Well, but <laughs> I saw, yeah, Does I she saw somebody wrote. Uh, yeah, I saw a good fan wrote this guy, uh, uh, Jared Idiot wrote. Um, 
why is Miro slut shaming Penelope? So that's true too. Now he's he's saying, yeah, right. But, <laughs> it's but, a bad um, thing to be. Well, she's the way she was dressing. Like if you saw she got married, quote unquote, married to Kip Sabian on, on air, she was wearing lingerie and like this, you know, you know white like see through lingerie and like this cover up. So you know, she was dressing a little provocative for sure. Okay, yeah. well, you know, so look, I mean, like it wasn't talk like a slut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> walk like a slut. Hey, guess what? Is there a possibility <laughs> here? I mean, you know, come on, man. Are you if you're throwing it out there and and you're you're portraying. Uh, this this uh, Tammy Sunny. I mean, yeah. look, you know, uh, she was portraying it. She was she was doing it. And hey, guess what? Surprise, surprise. So you know, look, it's a tough gig, man. Take the punches and roll with. It. If you can't, move on. Get out of the business. <laughs> it ain't for the faint of heart. Yep. Now, yeah. before uh, we get on to the topic at hand, which was actually wanted to talk about today, training Dolph Ziggler, which we'll get into in a second. I just wanted to bring up one quick maybe word and, and see what you do with it. Grave digger. Do you remember that at all? Does it bring back any memories of Gigolo, Jimmy Del Rey and yourself and a certain not even finishing move, almost finishing move, because I didn't remember this at all. And I was watching on uh, Twitter. Somebody posted it like it was I think it was uh, all American or one of those um, like lesser WWF shows. You yeah. guys pulled off this grave digger move. He, he, you're on the uh, second rope and you're standing there waiting. He brings the guy to you. You literally jump <laughs> off and drop him on his back. It's like um base i don't know it's like a it, interesting move it's like a little bit of a dominator you know like a ron simmons dominator spine buster but you yeah. do it from the second rope and gigolo puts him up there i just thought that was really cool i yeah i don't know that that we called it the grave digger or or anything like that but uh i we did that a couple times and why we probably uh did away with it is because it probably wasn't uh the right thing to do with everybody and you have to be able to do stuff with everybody. And sometimes if the guy wasn't agile enough or we weren't strong or agile enough, then it, it made no sense to try and do it. But yeah, uh, I remember doing that, that move a couple times. We did some stuff, maybe one or two times, try it out, give it a, give it a drive test run, but um, nothing that really a lot. Some of the stuff didn't stick. Thank God. But uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't certainly one of our uh, staples, obviously, but I do remember doing that a couple of times. Yeah. We I know before we've talked about the DDT, the clothesline DDT. And that was <laughs> stupid too, man. You know, I, we're sitting here and, and cool. And, move. No, I like, that. nah, well, yeah, but it was still stupid. Where you close on your partner and give a DDT. But we, we, some of the stuff, I think some of the stuff we were ribbing each other on, you know, mm -hmm. looking yeah. back on it, because you, you, you kind of look at it and you're like, now wait a minute. And, and it was that kind of vibe back then. It was just there was a lot of stuff going on that um, <laughs> that, uh, that if we could go back in time, but we can't. So we won't and all that other good stuff. But, yeah, we do. Yeah, I, look, I, I, I enjoyed parts uh, of uh, being a team with uh, Jimmy. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hey. hey, I'm sorry, that's very unprofessional on this podcast, but I have uh, huge rats like that. Looks like a dog, with a little bastard wants to dig. Um, so but Jimmy and I, we, we had some really good times and uh, some good, but, uh, 
uh, we were two different people. And, um, you know, I guess that's what made the team the team, but that's also made uh, for a lot of issues outside because we just uh, – Jimmy, Jimmy was one of those guys that, that we found after Stan decided to retire, and um, we knew each other in passing through the years. We didn't really know each other. And now he's coming in to be my, you know, we're, we're going to be partners or we're going to be figuring in in places. And, and um, I'll never forget, Michael Hayes told me a long time ago, when you have a tag team, you guys really have to get along outside the ring too, as well as inside the ring. So it looks and it feels like you guys are working as a team. And uh, while we did that, the more we uh, found out about each other's um, idiosyncrasies and personalities. I don't think he wanted to be around me so much, and I don't want to be around him so much. We do business, we show up, you know, we 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 rode separately and together at times. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, he was a he might have been a, a, a steak and potatoes guy, and I was a chicken and macaroni guy. I don't know. It was just, we, we like different, different things and we did different things. And, uh, sometimes it mixed and sometimes it just didn't. So we would come up with ideas. And I think that was, you or Hey, Del Rey idea. Hey man, grab him in the DDT. I'll close on you. You close on me or something like that. I'm thinking, ah, okay. You know, we're looking for new stuff to do. And then he might've got the idea from somebody else or, just a rib or whatever it was, but I don't, I don't think it ever really caught on or clicked. The finish of the match I'm talking about, you took the guy Gravedigger, you picked him back up, got Jimmy in. He does a standing moonsault off of the top rope to this guy who's standing. Oh, you know, obviously on lands top, on him. Yep. One, two, three, pretty amazing uh, moonsault from, uh, no, Jigolo. Hey, he, the Jiggle was talented. He had, he, he was a talented guy. No doubt about it. Uh, I never had any issues in the ring. He was fantastic, and he could do some really cool stuff. He was that – he could be the high flyer, man, and, and, he, and he did a great moonsault. He did some good stuff. He was he was, um, he was was fearless at times. And once again, that could be good and that could be bad, you know, just depending on what, uh, <laughs> what, you, what you were asking him to do or what he was going to tell you. He was going to do, hey, watch this. And it's like, oh, no, don't do that. But, oh, God, oh, well, I got to go. <laughs> Yeah, that's that. All right. The subject at hand I wanted to talk about was training Dolph Ziggler, who is obviously a current WWE superstar still after all these years. And he's one of the top acts on SmackDown in the tag team division with Robert Rue. They are the Dirty Dogs. We can get to that maybe a little bit later. But when did you first meet Dolph Ziggler? Where did you first meet uh, I met Dolph in OBW, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, for a tryout, and he didn't have the blonde hair then, but uh, he was he was in shape, looked good. Um, but for me, at the first time, the first meeting, and of course, obviously, it's changed. I, I just wasn't uh, picking up on it. I wasn't uh, uh, I wasn't following the signals he was putting out that he had talent that he. He had this um, knowledge and had passion. Uh, it, it could have been because he was nervous. I don't know. It, it might have just been me uh, 
you know, tuned into a different wavelength and, and, and watching other guys here. It, it, it might have been, because I've, I've often wondered why, it might have been um, during that time where we had the mandate of 6'1", 230, and, and Dolph is, I think, six, six foot, maybe six one, six foot, not, not really – not a big guy, but he was he was slim. He was in shape. He was ripped. He was a great amateur wrestler too. But it, it, it I'm not, don't quote me on this, but I think it might have been one of those times, more periods where um, uh, uh, the head of talent relations, Mr. Laurinaitis, uh, gave us a mandate to we were looking for bigger guys, and I, I was I was looking this way when I should have been looking at him. So in the beginning, it didn't click. Then I saw more of it because there were other people who did see it. And then I started watching and paying attention. And uh, the great thing about Dolph, as, as well as uh, uh, his brother Ryan, they both are fans and they both uh, love the business. They have a passion for wrestling. They have a passion for the business. And that... that I did kick myself in the ass after realizing that because, um, and, but I will say this, that's what actually got him on was his passion and uh, never say die attitude and not taking over no an answer. So it, it just, it worked out better and I think it made him better. And I think it made, made him even more determined to stick it up. Not just my ass, but everybody else's ass. He said he couldn't do it. Um, so that's where I first met him at, at a tryout camp at OVW. And uh, when he got hired, he finally came to Tampa. And uh, uh, he was Brad Green. Brad Green and uh, Dolph were partners in uh, FCW. And they got along great. They were a great team. But, but Dolph, all of a sudden, now he's in Tampa and I'm, I'm finding a, a new side, seeing a new side to him. He's, he's witty. Uh, he's positive. He has a great temperament for the locker room. He had, he had an FCW, and he became a leader uh, slowly over time. And without even trying, it, it was almost like osmosis. It just he, he, he was always meant to be, but he wasn't pushy. Uh, it just came about i think he he of course he was the leader of the team with him and brad but uh i found the confidence was getting better with him every day and watching him produce and watching watching him improve every day uh was great too one thing he did um in fcw he came in and, uh, and and I always appreciated when talent did this. Just just for whatever reason, I never said no. If, if a talent wanted to come in and change their name, we, he was using the name Nick Nemeth in FCW, and uh, he came to me and says, "Hey, would you please spell Nick N I C?" And all all I did, all, the only reason I, uh, the only way they had it had seen their name or anybody in FCW coming to the show would see their name as if we printed out the uh, roster, the lineup and put it on the, uh, on the wall. And I would just print out the lineup and put the names, tags, finishes, uh, who's going over times on the wall. So I would 
type it up and uh, put copies up. And he came to me and said, you know, instead of N-I-C-K, would you just put N-I-C, Nick Nemeth? I said, sure. Uh, put it up. And, and something as simple as that, I'm not saying this is what happened with him, but something as simple as that can give you uh, confidence, can give you uh, the feeling that, okay, this, I feel comfortable. Just, just, I know it's a small thing, it's a stupid thing, but it is a small thing and a stupid thing to sometimes uh, patch it all together, glue it all together. And when he, he got out there with a tag team or a single, whatever it was, um, the more I watched him, the more I saw that he really loved the business. He really was a fan. And, and there's a difference between a fan and a mark, huge difference. And he was a fan. He had respect for the business. He appreciated the business. He was an amateur wrestler, but he also knew about uh, professional wrestling, kind of like the Briscoes. Uh, the Briscoes were great amateur wrestlers, but they were huge fans of professional wrestling. So uh, that's that's what pretty much turned it around for me when I saw uh, Dolph's passion and his hard work. He had a great work ethic. And he still does. Just a quick uh, two points I want to make that have nothing to do really with Ziggler, but something you said. Johnny Ace, by the way, is back, John Laurinaitis, as the head of yeah. talent relations after 10 years. Shocked by that? No, not really. I'm not shocked by that. It's kind of weird. <laughs> well, let me, let me say why. <sighs> Anything can happen there. Anything can happen in WWE. And I've seen it. And, uh, when Hunter took over talent relations um, and then he had his, his uh, staff in place and he put the people he wanted in place. Um, you know, some people said, ah, he'll, he'll get tired of that in about a year and John will be back. Well, it wasn't a year, but it was 10 years. Uh, that's a specialized position. And that, that's, that's a, uh, that that's a that's a delicate spot to have. Jr. had it for years. Mm-hmm. Bruce had it for a while. Uh, JJ had it for a while. Uh, I'm not sure who was before JJ, but but it's a, it's a delicate spot to be in, and it's one of those things where you have to deal with every main, let's say every top personality. I mean, sometimes uh, the the medium or the uh, medium. Uh, middle and bottom guys can, can get a word with JR, but that's not his main concern, as, as should be. He's he's concerned with the guys who are making the company run. But in, in reality, he is concerned with everybody and everybody on the on the roster. Should should get equal attention, but let's be honest, they don't. Uh, so it's a real delicate um, position to have uh, because if you piss off the wrong guy, or you say the wrong thing, or you don't know how to be diplomatic, or you don't know how to maneuver, or you don't know how to work. (laughs) This goes back to saying, guys, what we do in this business is really that much in the role we do in the ring. Is that really about that much of what the business is about? And um, I'm not quite sure. I can't speak with authority who was in head of talent relations and, and the guy who was having these delicate, sensitive talks with top guys um, and mid-card guys and preliminary guys, opening card guys, um, during during to- uh, John, 
John's hiatus. I know Hunter had had a part, and he was probably taking care of the guys he knew how to take care of because he's been in that position and he knows how to talk. He knows how to work. Uh, the other people, I, I don't know if they had that capability to uh, sit with someone and placate them or at least um, – soothe the beast and that's really what it is uh you're that's i think that's what the position was created for and because i think right before they had all this stuff it was vince with a booker there was just one booker and but vince was a guy so anyway to answer your point it, it didn't surprise me because john was was john was smooth john's a businessman um, we, we didn't always see eye to eye, but I did come to, uh, respect John in the sense that, um, I understood after a while, especially after being there and, and seeing how the office worked and seeing how, how, the, what the lay of the land was, John, John knew, knew how to get, get behind the hill <laughs> get in, get in the bunker knew when he could come out and negotiate and hey this is a great day let's let's end the war now and he could also foresee uh, a, a few times uh with a couple guys he knew that that it was about to come to a head and he he would prepare for it he knew how to handle it and that's talent so uh, for the last 10 years I, i'm not quite sure who was doing that John may have been called in a couple times to 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 um, teach somebody or to offer advice or offer words of wisdom. But I know the other guy, John Clark, who, who was uh, there when I was there, uh, would come in. John was trying to deputize him in a way to come to OVW in Cincinnati and, and tell some of these guys, give some of the guys their notice. And I was sitting in with him, and he didn't know how to talk to them, and he didn't know how to react when they reacted. He didn't know what to say. So when they would leave and they talked to me and then I would relay that to John, John would say, why didn't John explain we're going to take care of it and they're going to get paid through the end of their tenure here and they're not just going to be out on the door, out in the cold. And he tried, John would try, but he didn't know how to do it. He was, he was not a personable guy. The boys hated him. And if the boys don't like you and the boys don't respect you or you try to come on like you're, one of the boys, like, oh, yeah, man, I'm in with you guys. I know what you're No, you're not in with us. You're either one of the boys or you're not one of the boys. That's the point. That's the whole point about it. John's an office guy, no doubt. But he was one of the boys uh, for a time. He was a guy in Japan who who, who uh, knew how to make things work and, and make money. And, and he knew how to talk to you sometimes. He knew when you're having a bad uh, bad day, month year <laughs> he understood that or at least he could make you understand it and of course we know it's not about what you say but it's how you make them feel and and john's aware of that and you need to be aware of that and you're in that position so when hunter took over for john i knew he knew hunter knows how to do that um but at the same time you know he was just getting his feet wet and we didn't know how long some of us didn't know how long he would want to endure that because sometimes it get intense and so uh it doesn't surprise me because i don't think uh anybody 
at, at this point who they have or anybody even out there who could, who could do it better uh, than John Laurinaitis right now. So to me, if they needed to make a change uh, for whatever reason, or maybe they just need to move somebody over in a different position to, to do something else, because I know they like the people who they, who they put in place there at one time uh, in talent relations. But I also know that some, some of those people have no, no inkling or feeling uh, for what it's like for, for someone who wants to, to do this and get in the ring and stuff, but they think they do and they want to be buddy, buddy. And they want to, and, the, and those, those aren't fans. Those are marks. And, and unfortunately he had some marks in the office at one, at one time. And maybe I'm sure you still do, but the marks are the guys who think they're smarter than you. And they're the smartest guy in the room. And you know, the old saying, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. And uh, that, that could be the thing, you know, John, John could come across um, the way he came across sometimes wasn't always always conducive for for everybody to like him. But I think in the end, you had to respect him because you knew his position. So surprise me? No, no, not at all. They also said they're well. I guess Mark Carano technically was just in in um, a talent relations role, but they may be shifting into this third party thing where they have somebody dealing with the social media and everything else. So he might be kind of shifting into that. But then there was another thing that came out um, that there's a new mandate at the PC that no one over 30 years old will be admitted to the PC unless it's a special circumstance. I don't know if you saw that or heard that. Yeah, I did hear that actually, and uh, that. If, if you really stop and think about it, makes sense. It's the entertainment business. If you're uh, 30 years old and you're just now trying to think about getting professional wrestling, why weren't you trying to do it in your 20s? Um, it, it's, it's your body. Uh, look, this, this is a tough gig. This is a tough business. This is a contact sport. It is sports entertainment. It is a work. But, you know... <laughs> It's not fake. You're going to take bumps. You're going to get potato. You're going to get hurt. I broke my ankle. I broke my collarbone. Um, I've been out, man. I, you, you're, you're going to get concussed. It, it's part of the gig. It ain't ballet. And at 30 years old, just now thinking about getting into professional wrestling and wanting to have a career at it, it's a long shot. And I tell people that. Anybody who wants to apply to JPWA, how old are you? Well, I'm 32. Okay, what are your goals? I don't want to get as far as I can get. Okay, what does that mean? Well, I want to get to a major company. I want to sign a contract. Who do you want to work for? Give me the answer that I know you're going to give me. Well, I want to be a star with WWE. Okay. DDP was the exception. He's not the rule. He got into a lot older, and it was a different animal back then. It's not the same model. It's a different day and age. Youth has always been a part of this business. Youth, young, new, yes, new, young ideas. At 30 years old, your bones are more breakable. It, it's harder. You're, you're going to feel every other bump. Uh, it's a game. It's a mental game. What, what, why, why were you spending 10 years? Why were you spending your carefree 20s uh, doing what you were doing? Instead of if you really tell me you have this passion, why didn't you go for it then? Because that's the time to do it. 
30s or, or you know, it, what they're looking at is if you're 30 years old, they're, they're looking at at least a five-year commitment, five-year investment. And by the time five years, if you're not getting it and you get to 35, well, we just wasted they. We, they just wasted uh, five years. That's the way they look at it, paying you, training you, and didn't get anything out of it because you weren't clicking or you hurt yourself or you lost interest or they lost interest or whatever it may be. So I, I, I agree with that. I agree 30 years old to start something. Now, so they're, and they're using that, that uh, little catch, that caveat, unless you've been on the, on the independent scene, unless you're, you're special and, and have something to offer. Okay. They're, they're not going to hold that 30 year old limit to you, but if you're the average guy or girl, coming in saying, wow, I think I'd like to be a wrestler now after I've already done this stuff and uh, most of my life. Now I want to try professional wrestling. Okay, you can try it and you can go get trained uh, and you can have some matches out there. There's some independents who will book you if you're 30. They don't care if you have something or hell, even if you don't have something. I've seen them book 40-year-old, 50-year-old guys who just want to wrestle, just want to wrestle and get, get in the ring and have a match. That's what you're going to do, get in the ring and have a match and uh, Dental Floss, Indiana, or Podunk, wherever. That's fine. That's cool if that's what you want to do. But WWE has now publicly said, unless it's a special case and you're 30 years old, um, we don't have anything for you. So that's what they're saying. Okay, I, I do agree with that. So when you first started training Dolph, I, you know, obviously he gets signed and he gets brought into FCW. I guess it, it would it would be yes. the first time he he's kind of exposed to full time WWE. I believe so. Yeah, he might he might have gone to OVW uh, for for a stint, uh, but he did wind up in FCW and uh, finally got on the main roster. So you knew that he had the amateur wrestling experience from Kent State and that he was a good wrestler. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. That was part of his uh, resume, and we were all made aware of that. And and and, and he he demonstrated that uh, he had basic fundamentals, and he knew the the fundamentals of professional wrestling too. Because a lot of amateur guys are the hardest to train because they're not they're not uh, geared, they're not wired to, to uh, sell. They're not wired to show emotion. They're not wired to, to, to show uh, feeling when they're hurt and, and, and patience, emotion. But he was. So, you know, that, that helped a lot that he was a fan. You prefer having guys that have an amateur background, like when you're training them, or it doesn't matter? Uh, no, that doesn't matter. I, I would prefer to have somebody who doesn't have the pro background because a lot of, a lot of guys who come in with the uh, – the indie pedigree have habits that mm, true. Yeah. 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 Um, and <laughs> I run into it on a, on a pretty regular basis from guys who, um, say I've wrestled for 12 years and I just want to get, you know, a little polished up. So, well, okay. If you come in, then I want you to do it my way, but they can't break their habits. And, and there's little things there's, there's those little habits. Um, that, that are almost universal. And I, I, I saw it just recently. You have someone in a hammerlock down on the mat and they're trying to come up uh, and, and they go the wrong way. And you ask them, why did you do that? Oh, oh, my bad, my bad. How long have you been working? 12 years. 
Okay, you've been working 12 years in the ring, and no one has ever told you when you come up from a hammerlock, you go to your left, not your right? Uh, no. Gotcha. In the wrong room. Mm, cool. Mm -hmm. Look at that. Gotcha. Easy yeah. to tell. As far as like Ziggler and, and training him, and you know, he's got that athletic background. Obviously, he, you know, he, we, we know the resume. He was good at Kent State and everything else. How was he like coachability wise? Was he, and now I know he's a fan, but it, does he think he's good already? Does he know he needs, you know what I mean? Like, how was his attitude and coachability? Attitude was great. He was very coachable. He knew he was good. Yes, he did. No doubt about it. He had confidence, but he wasn't overly cocky at all. He got it. He got it when I was when I was working with him, uh, talking to him. He got it when I was. Um, uh, I tell I tell people all the time. I'll, I will mess with you, but I won't mess with you. I mean, I'll I'll I'll, I'll play with you. You know, I'll I'll I'll, I'll start talking about something that. Um, May have nothing to do with anything, but but I want to see what you can give me back. Just just give and take, give it to me, you know. And and uh, uh, he got it. He got that. Some guys don't get it. Some guys get really nervous and and, and not sure what what to do. You got to you got to be ready for anything, and it, be able to be. You have to be able to talk about anything. You have to be able to handle any situation you're you're given. And Dolph did. He he. Uh, and again, I go back to him and Ryan. And, and I'll throw Trent Beretta in there because uh, occasionally, you know, we'll, he'll put a tweet out there and nobody else knows what it is. Pardon me. Nobody knows what he's talking about except me. Maybe now Ryan Nemeth, and, and, and um, <laughs> a couple of the guys who were there at the time at FCW. And, and it doesn't matter because I know where they're coming from and they know where I'm coming from, but it's a game. It's just, it's, 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 it's a, uh, a maze of, you know, hey, I saw Brett smoking a cigarette out by the back. And uh, he also left the water on and flooded the sink in the apartment. And he'll come back. What? What does that matter? What does that mean? We don't know. We don't care. But we'll take it all in different directions. And I used to, uh, Brett used to wear a shirt every day in the FCW, a different shirt. And, and it, he got it like either headline shirts or one of these, one of these gimmicks where, you know, they get a different kind of gimmick shirt every day or something and just stupid saying. And, and, it, but, but that was his gig. That was his thing. So I'd, every, every day I'd see him, we were to look at uh, a shirt and wearing a stupid shirt. And I tell him, I said, that's a stupid shirt. And he goes, well, you're stupid. He goes, yeah, <laughs> but, but you're stupid. So things like that. Um, Derek Bateman. Uh, I'm going off here, but I got to tell you because this kind of pertains back to, to the same thing, like Ziegler and uh, Brad Green and, and all these guys. You know, there, there's this thing out there called bunny suicides. Are you familiar? Mm -mm. I saw it on a calendar. Yeah, I saw it on a calendar, and it's, and it's just it's it's uh, <laughs> it's the kind of thing where you have a bunny with a rope around his neck tied to a tree, like just growing, and he's watering the tree. Okay, he's got a, a noose around his neck yep. tied to this yep. tree who's a little bitty tree, but he's watering the tree to make it grow. By the time it grows, it's going to hang him. Yep. It's taking it that long to commit suicide. Yep. It's the funny <laughs> irony of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's stupid, you know, you got the noose tied to the uh, uh, minute hand of the clock and, and, it, and it goes around or, or something that, uh, whatever it is, man, it's just the stupidest stuff. But stuff like that, it, 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 
takes you over here for a promo. It takes you over here for an idea. It takes you over here just thinking about, man, I laughed about that. I laughed. Oh, wait a minute. And and I've, that's another thing. That's I've seen it happen. And you just start thinking of stuff. And and we did it with Bray Wyatt, uh, uh, when uh, Taylor Rotundo, a lot of those guys. Do you, there used to be a commercial. The McDonald's fish sandwich. Give me that fillet of fish, and he did the fish on the wall. And uh, three guys, three people, brought me a different fish. You know, with the flipping, they give me that fillet of fish, the McDonald's fish sandwich song, because that was the um, uh, relationship, and that was the camaraderie that we had with those guys to say, "Hey, have you heard that stupid commercial?" Yeah, and also, and we branch off into what else we've heard and what else we can talk about. And then it goes from there. And, and Ziggler was in on that stuff. Ziggler got that stuff. And, and he he knows how to roll with it. And some guy, that, that's, it's, it sounds so ridiculous and so simple, and it really is. But I think it's one of the most important things in the business. Learning how to tell a ludicrous story. And learning how to tell it so convincing that nobody knows if it's real or not. Nobody knows if it's true or not. And if you can make something, even though we tell you this is this is the craziest thing, uh, but but you tell it with, with such conviction. And we've told people stories about Dr. Jerry Graham and the crazy things he did. And people say, no, that never happened. Yeah, that really happened. Or we tell you stories about Michael Hayes, Freebirds, and no, you're just, you're exaggerating. No, we're really not exaggerating. But nobody can see that because we live in a different society today and we live in different things. That's what made um, the guys with the passion, the guys with the feeling who understood uh, that that this is a unique business. This is unique. You have to have a unique approach to it to to stand out. When he was Chavo's caddy, what was his name? Kerwin uh, uh, White. Kerwin White. But, but who was Chavo? Well, who was what was Ziegler? When he was caddy? Yes. Yep. What, what was Ziegler's name then? Was it Dolph Ziegler? Yeah. Eventually, it would become Dolph Ziegler. Yeah. But it wasn't during the caddy days. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I don't know. Okay, that that doesn't matter. What, what what matters is, you know, he was stuck. He was a spirit spot guy. Yeah. You know, then he got he was in that that spot, and he had confidence. He knew he was better than that. He knew uh, in his heart. He knew. Well, it's one thing to know, but it's another thing to actually do something about it. And he did. And everything we threw at him. Everything we gave him, he took it. Even when I would mess with him, he went out and get him stuff, and he wasn't sure where I was going with it. And I wasn't always sure where I was going with it either. But I would take it after I would give him uh, – what's your line if, you, if you've seen that show? It, mm -hmm. it was kind of like that. You, you would give somebody something and then come back with it and, and see where they would take it and see what, see what it was. And um, we, sometimes we found out what it was wasn't very interesting, but other times guys like Dolph Ziggler made it interesting. And uh, that's, I think that's called creating and try to describe, uh, the, you know, being creative is like trying to describe how a bird flies. You, he, it just does. And there's no putting your finger on it. So you do this, 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 and this, and you'll be successful. But um, 
what I didn't see at first with Dolph Ziggler, it certainly came back around and was right there in my face because he, he, uh, he had it and it took me a little bit to see it, but, it, but I did. And, uh, he's, and he still has it in my opinion. It's interesting. Like his career, like what kind of what happens is like, okay, he goes to OVW. That's kind of your first time you see him. His first full-time work with you was really FCW. But before then he's in OVW, then he's kind of doing the spirit squad thing. He also, I guess was Nick Nemeth, if I'm remembering correctly, when he yeah. was Kerwin White's caddy, uh, then he kind of goes back to OVW and, and does the spirit squad thing there. Then basically he goes to FCW almost to get repackaged. And eventually they create like this Dolph Ziggler name for him. I feel like it's like FCW, like I mentioned before, is like a name generator thing. It's like you go down there and, and they, they create a crazy name for you. Then they bring you back up and it's your job to get it over. I actually thought when they created that name for him that he was doomed. Like, you know, Dolph Ziggler is like, okay, right. this guy is doomed. He can't get over it. And now we're, we're saying it like it's nothing. We're saying it just like, hey, Hulk Hogan. Like, you know, it just rolls off the tongue and you don't even think about it. Well, right, and and that goes back to it. It is up to the talent to get it over, and uh, he could have uh, just just given up and said, "To hell with it, man! I, what are you guys doing to me?" And, and it, it, it's kind of like uh, when the dream was given polka dots and sapphire, and you know you're going to be the common man, and he's always been the common man, but now we're going to make you even more of a common man and, and a parody of the common man instead of saying. You know what, baby? I just think I'll move on over to the corner. I think he said, you know what? I'm going to take this and I'm going to show you I can make anything work and stick it up your ass and follow that. That's 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 really what I believe. And no one's told me this, but this, this just is what I've seen. I believe um, the powers that be up there in WWE uh, enjoy when people overcome and when the guys become successful because look the talent is dependent on young new talent or the business is dependent on young new talent and uh it's great when nobody has anything for you and they give you this uh half-assed lazy name or half-assed lazy worst gimmick in the world and you overcome and you make it better and uh they have no no choice but to but to push you and give you the opportunity because you you force their hand and the way you do that is get over and get over organically with the the fans and the viewing audience and um that that's i, I think that impresses the people who you need to impress and vince is a hard guy to impress and uh, if you can do that, then then you got to make. He overcame the spirit squad. He overcame the horrible name that is Dolph Ziggler. You know, like we said, we don't even think about it anymore. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. Did you ever foresee him becoming, you know, he was a U.S. champion. He's an IC champion. He's a tag champion. He's a two-time former world champion. Right. Did you foresee that for him? Did, did you see that kind of ability from him, or, or it's tough to tell? Well, it's tough to tell. I. Yeah. I, I said that about a lot of guys. Uh, some guys you, you just you, you could look at uh, and see, well, I, I can understand them putting the, the title on Austin. I can understand putting the title on Hunter. I can understand mm -hmm. putting the title on Sean. I can understand putting the title on um, uh, Hager, Hager uh, Jake, Jake Hager. I can, I can understand that. 
but but some of the guys, when you go, hmm, well, yes, he does have talent, but uh, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's if, if it's going to carry over because you don't they don't just one day say, hey, we're going to put the title on Dolph. Uh, it's something that they talk about for a little bit and they consider and somebody has to bring it up first and whoever brought the name up first as a world champion uh, spot obviously had some pull and had some influence and Dolph Ziggler obviously impressed uh, those who have the pull and influence. So um, while I saw him probably having a great career, um, you know, the, the spirit squad wasn't exactly uh, going to be world championship material. You're not going to be, you know, Nikki from the spirit squad as world champion. I knew that much, but Dolph Ziggler kind of, kind of, like you said, kind of a odd name to be the world champion at the same time. Uh, he made it work. So yeah, world champion, intercontinental champion, U S champion, all these uh, accolades. And he's been successful for a long time. Um, a lot of guys, you know, we 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 can see Batista, sure, world champion, uh, but other guys aren't so obvious. Yeah, he had quite a damn good run, and then doing his uh, stand-up comedy thing, doing his political thing. So had success away from WWE as well. And he's one of those guys. I know, you know, according to you know the sources or wherever, he's paid over a million dollars a year. So I mean, he's doing pretty damn good for himself. Well, right, exactly, and that, that's the thing. He's not just doing the wrestling. I totally forgot for a minute until you said that the the stand-up comedy and um, just, just he's a smart guy. And thank God there's there's a lot smarter guys in the business today than there were back in my day. Uh, and and it's, it's a different model. And the guys are more educated in, in healthy uh, eating, healthy lifestyles, putting their money away and negotiating their money, proving their worth. And uh, if, if they weren't liked or thought well of backstage, then they wouldn't be there. So you have to be able to get along. and and maneuver those shark infested waters as well. And he did. Dolph's done a great job. And I think that's a great stopping point for this week. We'll get into some plugs and we'll talk about your book, a pro wrestling curriculum, advice, suggestions, and stories to help the aspiring pro get to that next level. Dr. Tom, where can they get this awesome book? You can get my book. If you go to jpwrestlingacademy.com, it is right on the front page. Just click that link. It'll take you to the ordering page on Amazon. And that's all you have to do. One stop shop. No problem. Also, if you are looking to train in professional wrestling, our next session starts very, very soon, April 5th uh, through June 25th. That will be our spring session starting and uh, that's just in about uh, three weeks, I think. So jpwrestlingacademy.com is where you can apply and get all the information you need. Good stuff there. Love it. You can also go to a prowrestlingtees.com and go to the either JPWA store or the Dr. Tom store and get a shirt like the beautiful one I'm wearing right here for the JPWA, like Dr. Tom has on. Or you can go to Dr. Tom's page, like I said, and get a Wanted Dead or Alive shirt, which is uh, my absolute favorite. That is a great, 
great shirt that you used to wear so proudly, you know, back in the, uh, uh, the territory days. I still wear it proudly. Nice. Great shirt. And of course, you can also, like Dr. Tom mentioned, go to a JP. Uh, wrestlingacademy.com the website and check out all the further information on the jpwa you can follow me on twitter and instagram at two man power trip you can check out my website tmptempire.com and you can also follow dr tom on twitter at dr tom richard dr tom what else do you got going on yeah you know we just we're finishing up our uh last session here with jpwa we we're about to have our graduate class on um, the 22nd uh, or 26th of march in gladeville tennessee with bert prentice and usa championship wrestling uh bert, bert is going to be celebrating his 63rd birthday on uh, march 26th uh, we're looking forward to going there and having a great time uh and and again we're just we are getting ready for our second session of 2021 and uh april 5th is the day jp is the website to get all the information and not only uh, that but you can get my book so that's what we have going on great stuff and also want to mention go to bluechew.com if you need a little help in the bedroom, of course, or if you need a little help quit smoking, go to lucy.co and get some great gums and lozenges over there. Both of them have a promo code of Dr. Tom. So again, bluechew.com, lucy.co, promo code Dr. Tom. You get a lot of stuff off and maybe even some free blue chew. So uh, please check that out if you can. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week. We'll see you right back here next week for Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. See you next week, folks. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the two-man power trip of wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at two-man power trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother.